Well, um, we began a brand new teaching series today that I am honestly so excited about. I mentioned earlier that there are a handful of teaching series that I get really, really pumped about. Uh, I get excited about all of them, but some I'm just like extra, extra excited. And this is one of those series. And we're getting ready to spend our entire fall going through a teaching series called In My Feelings. Look to the person beside you and say, are you in your feelings? Look to the other person and say, are you in your feelings? Because I'm in my feelings. <laughs> we are going to be taking some time looking at an incredible book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. There are just a handful of books in my life and resources that have been as recommended as this book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, by Pete Scazzaro. Pete was a, was a church planter and is a, uh, a pastor at a church in New York City called New Life Fellowship. And through his own experience, um, dove into emotionally healthy spirituality. And the good news is that we actually have a handful of these outside on our kind of resources table if you want to purchase one of these. This is a great supplemental reading for you as we dive into the teaching over the next few weeks. Uh, I will tell you that the next few weeks are somewhat um, note heavy. Uh, I think this is very practical stuff. And I think it would be wise of you to bring a journal, a moleskin if you please, and take some notes as we dive into this reading over the next few weeks. Um, the whole premise of this teaching and this book really is this quote. This is kind of the baseline of everything. It's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. It's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. In his groundbreaking book, The Road Less Traveled by M. Scott Peck, he says, life is difficult. It's the first sentence in the first chapter of The Road Less Traveled. Life is difficult. This is a great truth, one of the greatest truths. How many of you agree that life is hard? Life is difficult. Life is not easy. It is challenging. And we live in a world and a society right now in this current cultural moment where anxiety, depression, and emotional unrest are at epidemic levels. Barnes & Noble last year reported that there, were, were a, a 20, there was a 25% increase in book sales on topics related to anxiety than the previous year. The American Psychiatric Association ran a poll in 2017, and they found that nearly two-thirds were extremely or somewhat anxious about health and safety for themselves and their families, and more than a third were more anxious overall than the previous year. Millennials, which a majority of us in here are millennials, shout out to the millennials, millennials are said to be the most anxious of all generations, all, all generations, Social indicators research concluded that Americans reported substantially higher levels of depressive symptoms in the 2000s and 2010s compared to the 1980s and the 1990s. 
The Anxiety and Depression Association of America, the ADAA, reports that anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness affecting 40 million U.S. citizens 18 and older. Almost 20% of the population. And depression is the leading cause of disability worldwide. Life is difficult. Life is hard. Life is challenging. And we are caught up in this rat race of life and our emotional maturity and pursuing our emotional maturity and navigating our emotional maturity is even more difficult. Many of you probably saw this week, earlier in the week, that a pastor by the name of Jared Wilson took his own life. Someone who's been an advocate for mental health. Someone who's been an advocate for suicide prevention. Matter of fact, he actually spent some time on staff at a friend of mine's church in Nashville. When I got the news about Jared Wilson taking his own life, there was this supernatural weight that fell on my shoulders. And I wanted to share with you guys today that this is a space, a place, and a community where it is okay to share that you're not okay. And I want this to be a place where you feel loved, valued, welcomed, and cared for. And it's okay for you to share, you know what? Things just aren't okay. Life is difficult. And the timing of this teaching, I think, is so prophetic for us in our community. The verses for today are going to be Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 24. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 24. I'll give you a chance to, to get into that. By the way, if you're new today, welcome. We're so glad you came. Uh, my name is Spencer. I'm one of the pastors here. and just excited to have you join us here in the heart of downtown. Also, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't have an actual copy of the scriptures, we have some for free outside. We'd love to give you one. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. It says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for your mercy and for your grace. But if we're honest, a lot of us come this morning broken, burdened, carrying a lot of weight, emotional weight, mental weight, spiritual weight, whatever it may be, because of our story, our experience, our circumstance. And I've been reminded over and over again in Matthew chapter 11 where you say, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Spirit, would you navigate us on this journey as we dive into our emotions and our feelings as human beings? Meet us this morning and speak through me in a radical way, God. Would someone walk away transformed? May today be a moment for someone where they walk away and everything is new. Not easy, but new. In Jesus' name, we pray, and everybody said, amen, amen.
Just recently, my mother celebrated a birthday, and I won't disclose exactly how old she turned, but she is halfway to 100 and 10. Halfway to 110. And my mom wanted to treat herself and get herself a birthday cake, which who wouldn't want to do that, right? And so she goes to this bakery to get this birthday cake, and she wants white cake with white frosting. I didn't even know they had white cake. I just thought it was like, you know, chocolate cake and yellow cake. That's all I thought it was. She wants white cake, white icing, okay? She ends up getting it, takes it home, whatever, ends up being yellow cake, white icing. If you know anything about my mother, if it's not right, she will correct it. She will fix it. So she goes back and ends up getting the right cake. But here's what's so funny, I think, about what my mom did. is She took the cake back to the bakery, and literally there were two or three pieces of cake missing from the cake. And she's like, I want a new cake. I'm like, Mom, you took two or three slices. She says, well, I had to see what kind of cake it was, and so I took it back. I'm like, Mom, you still, like, you ate two slices of cake. You know, it's like people who eat half their meal at a restaurant, and like, this wasn't good. Can I get something else instead? And you're like, What? Come on. So I thought about that in regards to today, and I say all that to say that we as humans are holistic beings. We are holistic beings, and to acknowledge Jesus as Lord and to surrender to his formation means to surrender with our whole being, our holistic being. We are holistic people. And Paul, in a letter to the Ephesians, introduces the idea of the self. The self. The old self and the new self. The word self uh, in the Greek is the word anthropos. Anthropos. And that word means uh, human being uh, without reference to, to sex, gender, nationality, um, and distinct from God and from animals. You could almost sum it up by just saying your personhood, the human being. So this verse could literally be translated, put off your old human and put on the new human. Many of us maybe have taken an anthropology class or you know something about anthropology. It's the study of human societies. The word anthropos is where we get the idea of anthropology. It means the total human being, all of our personhood. And to be under the authority of Christ our Lord is to be under Christ with our entire humanness. Our entire humanness. Our entire person, the fullness of what makes us uniquely human. For him to be Lord requires our entire humanity, the wholeness of of who we are. He doesn't want just a piece of the pie, or shall I say a piece of the cake. He wants the whole piece of your life. He wants to transform the whole of who we are, our entire personhood, we as humans. There are five main components of who we are, five main components of who we are as human beings. We are social creatures. We are also intellectual, spiritual, physical, and emotional. 
five components of who we are. It's what makes us human. This frames us the human experience. Physical, social, spiritual, intellectual, and emotional. And for many of us, we have heard from the church that feelings and emotions are a bad thing and to run as far from your emotions as you possibly can. Let's just stay in the spiritual and in the intellectual piece of our whole. For a lot of us, we're afraid to share our emotions because we think that they aren't, they aren't really welcome in the church. We've kind of shunned them and we think that it's some kind of mysterious, like out there kind of thing. But in reality, emotions are part of who we are. They're part of our total human self. And we've engaged in social transformation through fellowship and community and relationship. We have engaged in intellectual transformation through study and research and information and theology. We have engaged in spiritual transformation through prayer and worship and fasting and solitude. We've engaged in physical transformation, whether it be self-control, stewarding our bodies, using our bodies to serve. But many of us have ignored emotional transformation like the plague. Even to bring up the phrase emotional transformation, you're like, what does that even mean? What does that even mean? Mean, And we feel like our emotions are something we kind of have to tread lightly regarding. However, for us to be under the lordship of Jesus, for him to guide us in our life, requires him also being lord of our emotions as well. And by the way, our God is an emotional God. He's an emotional God. All throughout the scriptures, we see reference to God's emotions. Here's a few just to reference. Genesis 1.25, he delights in what he has created is good. He delights. Genesis 6.6, 6, he's troubled. Exodus 25, he's jealous. And Jeremiah 31.3, kindness. Hosea 11.8, compassion. Matthew 26, sorrow. Mark 3, anger. Luke 10, joy. John 3, love. We see emotions from our God from Genesis all the way through the incarnation of Jesus, Jesus on earth, and even through the New Testament with the Holy Spirit. God is an emotional God. He has emotions. And because our creator has emotions and we are his image bearers, broken, I will say at that, marred, because we are his image bearers, we also have emotions and feelings. We also have emotions and feelings. Pete Scazzaro says in, in his book, to minimize or deny what we feel is a distortion of what it means to be image bearers of God. To cut them out of our spirituality is to slice, slice off an essential part of our humanity. We can't be 80% under the lordship of Jesus. We can't be 60% under the lordship of Jesus or 40% or 20%. To be under the lordship is for our total humanity, our whole self, our whole person to be under the lordship of Jesus, including our feelings and our emotions. 
Our emotions are an essential piece to our total self. And because they are an essential piece to our total self, they are an essential piece to our total transformation. Or as Paul refers to as putting on the new self. It's Paul's language for transformation here in the book of Ephesians. Get rid of the old human, get rid of the old person and put on the new human, the new self, the new person. That is Paul's explanation of transformation here in Ephesians. And the key isn't to fix ourselves or to fix our emotions, but to be transformed so that we can thoughtfully thoughtfully reflect and respond to our emotions under the lordship of Christ. Keep that in mind. The goal here isn't to fix your emotions. The idea here is to be transformed so that we can thoughtfully reflect and respond to our emotions under the lordship of Christ. We can't be under the lordship of Christ over here 80%, and on this side of the pie, we're not under the lordship of Christ. That negates what it means for him to be lord. He isn't lord over some, he's lord over all. And the idea here is to be transformed, like we talked about last week, to be transformed so that we can thoughtfully reflect and respond to our emotions under the lordship of Christ Jesus. And for a lot of us, if we're honest, we don't reflect and respond thoughtfully to our emotions. We just respond. We don't even reflect. We just respond. We just act. We just behave. And a lot of times, we don't even think about how it falls under the lordship of Jesus. John 10.10 says that Jesus came to give life and life to the full. For us to experience emotional maturity is us stepping into the fullness of life that Jesus offers us. For us to experience the fullness of life, life that comes from Christ, we must journey into the deep end of our feelings and emotions. And just like every part of our being is made new or transformed, so should our feelings and our emotions. Irenaeus, who was one of the church fathers, early church fathers in the second century, said the glory of God is a human being fully alive. You want to quote an old dead person? This is a good quote to use. Second century, Irenaeus, the glory of God is a person or human being fully alive. I want us all to be alive, fully, to experience the fullness of life that Christ offers us. So we ask the question, okay, well, how do we constitute an emotion? What is an emotion? Like, I understand kind of from afar the idea, but like, what truly is an emotion? Daniel Goleman, who wrote the, uh, the book Emotional Intelligence, says, emotion is referring to a feeling and its distinctive thoughts, psychological and biological states, and range of propensities to act. That is what we're talking about when we're talking about emotions. And there are eight families of emotions. Eight families. Eight main families of emotions. The first one is anger. Anybody ever get angry? You're like, I'm a follower of Jesus. I can't be angry. No, no, actually you can. Angry? Just two of you ever get angry? I mean, my hand was Thursday night watching the Panthers game. Let me talk about angry, all right? Sadness. Sadness is also a family of emotion. Fear, which for a lot of us is tied to anxiety. The New Testament calls anxiety worry. 
Enjoyment. Anybody enjoy? Just have times of enjoyment? Yes. All my Enneagram 7s in the house? Yes. Love people? Yes. Love. Surprise. Disgust. And shame. These are the eight families of emotions. Unfortunately, most of us don't know what our feelings are. Most of us don't even know our emotions because most of us are self-unaware. Self-unaware. You don't have a cognitive understanding of your emotions or your feelings, and some of you ladies are probably looking at your boyfriend or your husband and like, yes, he's talking to you. And he's like, he already mentioned thoughtfully, Reflect and respond on your emotions. Thank you. Most of us are self-unaware. One of the greatest blocks in maturing spiritually and being transformed is not being self-aware. Not having a clue what's going on in our person, in our self. And for us to begin to put off the old self, the old way of life, and put on the new self, we must become increasingly self-aware. We have to know our triggers. We have to know our story. We have to know our background. We're going to dive deep into this over the next few weeks. It's going to be beautiful, and I hope that you gain some spiritual maturity through growing in emotional maturity. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, we moved into a new home, and... We found in our master bathroom a leak. Now, if you know me, you know that I am not a handyman at all. I would much prefer decorate. I much prefer making our home look nice, aesthetically pleasing. Candles, I love candles. (laughs) Right? I love things or what we call doodads that go in different places in our home that make you want to take a picture and put on Instagram. That's my kind of way of life and thinking. I'm not handy. So we see this leak, and we're under the, underneath the sink looking, and we're like, well, like, I see the water, but, like, where is it really coming from? Like, I, don't, I don't really know. Could it be, like, it's not tight enough or, like, it looks like it's rotting? I mean, this home is old. It could just be, like, it's just old, Right? Like, I don't know where the problem lies. And a lot of us, a lot of us are leaking on those around us. And we don't know where the problem really lies. We're leaking. And we've been leaking for a long time. You think, well... And this is what we do in our home, too. It's just a little drip. We'll put, a, we'll put like a little pan underneath it. We'll just let it drip. But you're getting to a point now where the leak is starting to expand. And other people are experiencing the leak. And before you know it, it ends up turning out into more of a pour than a leak. And you still don't know where the problem lies. You know that a leak is there. And you probably know it because someone else close to you has mentioned it before. But you don't know where the problem really lies. We are leaking what is truly inside of us. Leaking 
who we are. We are leaking the reality of our emotional immaturity and emotional unawareness. One of John Wesley's favorite questions in discipleship was the question of how is it with your soul? My wife has taken that on as her life question. How is it with your soul? Because most of us are unaware If I were to ask you that question, and sometimes if you were to ask me that question, we would look back and say, I honestly have not a single clue. And I think that's an okay starting point because most of us would rather put on a facade and say, it's good. It's great. I love to change the question from how are you doing to how are you being? People get thrown off big time, big time. Like, ooh, well, hmm. Never pondered that one before. How are you being? Most of us are unaware. Because there are two main reasons, I think, that we are unaware. We're either distracted, busyness of life, chaos, things that are happening, and time. Do you understand time doesn't slow down for anyone? Time don't care about your schedule. Time don't care about what you got to do. Time just keeps on moving. The busyness of life, chaos, hurry, the rat race. We are totally distracted. We're distracted. So we don't really know what's going on inside of us. Or we're simply afraid. Distracted or afraid. Two main hindrances to being aware of what is truly going on on the inside. A lot of us are afraid because we have a little bit of understanding of what we might would find the moment we begin to go inward into ourself, into our emotions, into our feelings, into our pain, into our suffering, into our joy, into our fear. M. Scott Peck also says that human beings are poor examiners, subject to superstition, bias, prejudice, and a profound tendency to see what they want to see rather than what is really there. I love when I just hear a big group of people go, mmm. <laughs> by the way, that's a fantastic book. If you really want to get deep into some of this stuff, Road Less Traveled by uh, Dr. M. Scott Peck, phenomenal read, especially even for parenting or, or with kids or just your own relationships and love. It's a beautiful book. Poor examiners. We don't examine ourselves well primarily because most of us try and project something on us or inside of us that's not really there. Many of us, if we have even made it to the depths of our true emotions, we have done so with our eyes closed. For many of us, if we've even tried to get into our emotions, into ourself, into our person, we have done so, but with our eyes closed. And we say, yes, I have been there before. But our eyes are closed and we can't see clearly. In this series, in this teaching, I pray by, the, by God's grace and by the power of the Spirit that your eyes would open to the reality of what's really inside, really inside of you. I love that how, how this idea of self-awareness has been a key point across history in the church from even theologians and church fathers. John Calvin said in the 16th century, our wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. 
St. Augustine, African theologian, church father, fifth century in his book, Confessions, says, how can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? Fifth century, 400 AD, this is stuff that's being processed. 16th century, it's a stuff that's being processed even today. 21st century, we are processing it. How well do we know ourselves? Write this down. For us to become our authentic self or our new self, as Paul calls it, we must grow in self-awareness. You and I must grow in self-awareness. Awareness, I feel like, is one of the most undervalued and overlooked disciplines of the transformed life. Awareness. And some of you are ready to burst of emotion, feelings of what's real, what's truly going on on the inside. And some of you have created such a calloused reality within yourself. You've created such a fantasy that it's going to take some digging to get in. It's going to take some digging, and it's probably going to hurt some. Just forewarning you. But as we pray this morning, in our weakness is when we find strength. And when we are authentic with ourselves, I promise you there is freedom and liberation that makes the enemy shake his head because he doesn't want you free of yourself. Webster's Dictionary says awareness is the knowledge and understanding that something is happening or exists. That's what awareness is. Knowledge and understanding that something is happening or exists. You ever been around somebody who's just not aware? Primarily socially. You know what I mean? You've had people over to your home, it's like 11 o'clock, and they're just still lingering. (laughs) And I'm all about hospitality. Like, let's practice hospitality. It's a New Testament call. It's a discipline. Let's practice hospitality. But like, some people, I don't know what it is. It's like 11 o'clock, and we're still having these conversations. Recently, Jordan and I had the awesome opportunity to spend some time with Cody and Angie. We were at Cody and Angie's home, which just got married, by the way. Hello. Get a ring out there. Hey. That's beautiful, beautiful. We're kicking, having a great time. And by the, before you know, it's 11 o'clock. We're hanging out. And Jordan and I, you know, your wife is like, we got to go. You know, she just has that moment. You know, your friend's like, we got to go. You know, like, where did that come from? We're talking about music and we're talking about deep things in life. And Cody's on the recliner with his like blanket on. He's chilling. We're good. Like, honestly, we're just not sometimes socially aware. And if we're straight up honest, we're not emotionally aware either. We're not Creatures who naturally are aware, we would much rather create a falsified self than be aware of what's, rea- of what's real. The call to the new self is a call to abandon the old broken self and step into the restoration of the authentic self. What many of us don't realize is that salvation, salvation is actually the way in which Jesus heals us of our brokenness. The word salvation literally means to deliver or to save. But if you look up the the etymology of the word, salve, or the root word salve, has to do with an ointment for healing. The Greek word is the word sozo. So salvation can also mean healing. And a lot of us need drastic healing. Salvation, salve, healing, sozo, healing. 
be saved. Healing is the restoration back to what is true and authentic. When we are healed, we aren't just made new, but we are restored to our most authentic self. I was meeting with my mentor a couple days ago, and he was talking about the power of the word redeem. And I thought, wow, that's some interesting stuff he was sharing with me. But the idea of redeem really has to first start with deeming something. Specifically, a value. Like, I, I deem you worthy, or I deem you of value. To, to, to be redeemed, which is a New Testament word we see over and over again, is Jesus going back because of the cross, looking at you because of the reality of the cross and the resurrection, and looking at you and deeming you something brand new. He is redeeming you with value, with worth, with purpose, with meaning, with joy, and he calls you my co-heir. And the Father calls us sons and daughters. He is redeeming us. He is giving us a new reality. He is deeming us valuable, worthy, worth love. That's the idea of being redeemed. The unfortunate reality, however, is that many of us aren't functioning out of our true self. in part because the whole of who we are, including our emotions, hasn't been transformed. We are simply carbon copies of someone else or something else, maybe a friend or a parent or a celebrity. Most of us, if we're honest, aren't our true authentic self. So many of us have yet to be introduced to who we really are. We've met many people in our lifetime, but haven't ever met our authentic, true self. We have operated more out of mimicked carbon copies of others than we have our original, authentic versions of our God-created self. Ruth Haley Barton says this, self-examination is not inviting God to know me but inviting God to help me to know me. Oh, I just desire greatly that you come to know your true self. Not the self that your friends want, not the self that the culture impresses upon you, not a falsified identity, but your true self as a son or a daughter of a living King Jesus. That is my greatest desire that you experience what it means to be your true self. The first thing that Adam and Eve did when they were convicted of disobedience is that they hid and covered their true self. A lot of us are walking around covering our true self. Layers upon layers of a falsified identity. Mary Bowen, who was a professor and psychiatrist at Georgetown, created this idea or this framework called differentiation and the differentiation scale. And it's a scale of zero to 100, false self, true self. And if, we're, if we look at the scriptures, Jesus is 100% his true self. He's at 100 on the scale where his feeling and his thinking are able to be separated Whereas someone who's at a zero, their feeling and thinking are all going in hand in hand together. 
There's kind of four compartments, 0 to 25, 25 to 50, 50 to 75, and 75 to 100. And very few people in our culture are above 50. You can look this up. It's fascinating research. I want you to begin to figure out where are you at on the true self scale, the differentiation scale. Where are you at if you're totally transparent with yourself? Where are you at? And, and, and better yet, the question I want to leave you today as we wrap up, Christian, come on up. The question that I want to ask is this, and you need to write this down. Like, you need to write this down. You need to process this. It's kind of a yes or no question, but I want you to process before you answer it on your own. The question is, have you ever met yourself? Have you ever met yourself? The first step to emotional maturity is to know yourself that you may know God. You want to know God? Know yourself. You can't know God and not know yourself. For you to become your authentic self, not the broken, marred old self, but the new self that is walking in the image of Yahweh. The transformed, beautiful, whole, made new image of Yahweh. A lot of us gather this morning with a lot of brokenness. and a falsified identity of who we really, really are deep within. And it's scary to come to know yourself. There's been moments in my life where I have experienced a little bit of freedom, but in that freedom was a lot of pain and a lot of challenge and a lot of suffering. We're gonna begin diving into this, this book together that I think will open your eyes to yourself so that you might experience total transformation. Understand, family, this is a discipleship issue. This is a discipleship issue. And I want us to grow in our emotional maturity so that we can grow in our spiritual maturity. And next week, we get a chance to go back in order to go forward, go back into our families, our family of origin, our story, our past so that we can move forward. Because a lot of us have never fully healed from our past. We've never experienced deliverance from things we've dealt with as a kid or even our parents have dealt with that have been passed on to us or other things. But we're gonna dive deep into that. And I'm excited for the liberation and freedom that life comes out of this teaching over the next few weeks. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your mercy and your grace.